The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. Hello, everyone. My name is Joni Siegel, and this is The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. You are welcome. Today's episode is episode number 266, and I'm going to confess to you right now that I think I lost track of numbers, and I probably skipped one or have two with the same number. But today's episode is episode number 266. We are in our sixth year of weekly podcasting. We're going to keep podcasting until this addiction pandemic is under control. Don't know when that'll be. Anyway, I want to thank you for listening, and I want to encourage you to please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating so that Google will bring us up when people want to know what podcasts are available about addiction. And also check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a thumbs up. And also, if you ring the bell, then you will find out when we do new episodes. Just a reminder that my husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer for this podcast, and if you have a story to, re- to tell, you should reach out. The email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. Today's episode is an interview with a lady named Leah Laux. Leah is a speech language pathologist, mother, wife, and teletherapy content developer. After two years of recovery and sobriety, she took the deep dive to write the book she needed to hear while she was neck deep in the darkness and despair of her husband's active addiction. She needed to hear the true story of someone who overcame incredible odds and came out better, stronger, and happier from their struggles. She never found that book, so she decided to write it. She loves to write, and she spends her time editing a state park newsletter and teaching literacy to kindergartners as a volunteer in her son's classroom. She also develops teletherapy content for use with children with special needs, and she's a social media guru. So let's talk to Leah Laux. Leah Laux, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast today and sharing your story. Yes, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited. So tell us where did, tell, just tell us where you grew up, what your childhood was like, kind of how life started for you. Sure. Um, well, I grew up in upstate New York, um, outside of Syracuse to a, my dad was a school administrator. My mom was a teacher. So um, I guess you would say it's sort of um, high functioning perfectionist, I guess you'd say. And, uh, <laughs> and uh I don't know, I felt compelled to sort of go into a helping profession. So I chose um, speech language pathology, which I do um, to this day. And I enjoy working with um, patients. And um, yeah, so did did you have any any um, like, I, I know you you weren't an addict per se, but how did you get into even drinking or alcohol? Or how did how did that come about? I think for me, um, like I said before, where I was very anxious and, um, you know, and kind of trying to perform at a high level. Um, So for me, it was a way of like coping with, you know, insecurity or stress or things of that nature. And how old were you? Um, I mean, I didn't really start drinking until I was in college, but I would say that, you know, I know I noticed that I would sort of you know, do it a little more so to, to cope, you know, to, um, you know, if I had something that was, that was causing me a lot of stress, I would, you know, be more, um, you know, more of a, uh, into binging, I guess, more to kind of cope with that than, 
okay. you know, I, I recognize that that wasn't probably the healthiest way of coping with, you know, life stressors. Understood. But I think sometimes if you don't have other tools. Oh, for sure. What are you yeah. going to do? You know? Um, so, okay. So when did you meet your husband and how did that all come about? Um, I actually met my husband online um, and it was after. <laughs> which which now today is pretty common but you know when we met like 10 years ago it was a little I don't know taboo or whatever but um yeah we met on eHarmony and we had a lot of uh I would say like you know core values in common like we're very family oriented and we both were in you know helping careers my husband was a doctor I was in you know speech pathology so sort of you know in between teaching and the medical field and um you know we just had a lot of shared interests like you know, kind of being outdoors and kind of, you know, being active and that sort of thing. Shared love of animals, and that sort of thing, helping others. So. Okay. And then you have just the one boy. Yeah. We have a, a five-year-old who, um, he was three, um, you know, in the book while my husband was, um, you know, active and um, my husband had been active um, most of our you know, from the beginning, I guess I always knew he was a heavy drinker, but, um, you know, I guess the severity of it, he did hide from me until, you know, I, I found out later. Okay. So he was kind of a heavy drinker when you, when you got together, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And you weren't so much heavy drinker, but moderate? Oh, just, yeah. I would say just more like kind of a social drinker. You know, I, I, you know, I knew I had anxiety. So if I would be up, you know, upset or something, I maybe drink a little bit more, but I wouldn't say that I was, you know, fit, fit the classification of an alcoholic or addict or anything like that. Okay. But I know that there were better ways to cope than how I was, you know. Understood. Did your husband do drugs as well or just alcohol? Uh, no, he was just an alcoholic. Okay. And when, what made you realize that there was a problem there? Um, well, I kind of de detailed in my book that, um, one night he was, I mean, I, I knew all along that he was a heavy drinker and, you know, had my suspicions, but, um, one night in the fall of, uh, 2019, uh, he was making dinner and he's a tremendous chef. And, um, I was just noticing like, you know, he'd be stepping away from the stove and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know, you're going to burn the house down. And, um, I was playing Play-Doh with our son. And, uh, you know, I was just, he just didn't, didn't seem well. And I was like, you know, why don't you go upstairs and lie down and I'll, you know, take, take it from here and that sort of thing and finished up dinner. And I like looked down and I'm like, like, what's up with this dinner? He puts like dry breadcrumbs on the chicken. Like this, this isn't how he makes chicken Parmesan. Like this is, you know, what's up with this? And, um, so I went upstairs uh, to check on him to give our son a bath and there's like, you know, pervasive amounts of blood everywhere. It's like hemorrhage levels of blood, like oh seeping everywhere, like floor, his clothes, like our mattress is stained to this day. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, to lack a better word, like, what the hell? Like, yeah. you know, and, and uh, he's like, you know, like, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just a nosebleed. I'm like, don't look like a nosebleed. So I ended up calling our uh, another friend of ours that's a doctor and I was like you know listen like I think he's having like a, a stroke or a TIA or something I had worked I worked at a hospital at that time been in the medical what, field what's for a TIA years. what does that mean like a, a small ischemic um stroke okay so um 
you know, so I'm like panicking and, you know, my friend was like, it doesn't really sound like a stroke, but you know, I was terrified. Like when you see like hemorrhage level blood, so I'm like, so I just throw a pair of clean socks at him and I was like, listen, like, um, I'm either calling an ambulance or I'm going to take you to the ER because like we need to get this straight. So I called our friend to come over and, and get our son ready for bed and I took him to the hospital, but on the way to the car and my husband's a big guy he's over six feet you know 200 pounds and he's like it's it's like he's walking like he is like has paresis or paralysis like he's he's not walking right he's not talking right his speech is slurred he's got like word finding problems and like really getting panicky at this point like i'm like you know like this is looking bad and at that time um my husband was 40 at that time it was um almost three years ago now and so we get to the ER, which ironically, I worked at the hospital we went to and signed him in. And um, and the nurse was like, well, how much has he had to drink? And I'm like, well, he told me two glasses of wine. And, you know, and she just, you know, fires this, you know, at the moment, it's like this whole sea of questions and that sort of thing. And I'm like, um, just told them and they went, he went for his CT scan and his e. Uh, EKG they were just seeing if he had a brain bleed or whatnot and the ER doctor comes back into the room and um, just tells me like whispers a number to me like 0.9 or I don't even remember what the number was but it didn't like register to me I'm like why like and the ER doctor said you've got the highest blood alcohol level I've ever seen oh my gosh and wow. it was just like completely gutting because to anyone else that hadn't been like a long-term heavy drinker, he would have overdosed. I right. mean, it, the, the level was just out of this world, you know, and just like the shock of it, you know, because here yeah. I was thinking he was having a stroke or, you know, I was like beating myself up. Like, did I waste time? Like he, you know, he is he ever going to be all right? And like the nurses were like, you know, listening to his speech and his just his jargon and everything like that and they're like is he always like this I'm like no he's very smart he's a doctor well it came to find out that that was alcohol-based delirium and that's why he was acting like that okay and he had be he was diagnosed with beginning liver failure so at that time it was his point of no return seriously where was he bleeding from was it coming from his nose um, it was coming from? from his nose, but that was, I didn't know at that time because I wasn't really knowledgeable about certain um, late stages of alcoholism at that time. But in I the disease it. process, that was the beginning of multi-system failure. I see. I see. Okay. His body so, was in shock from yeah. the high level of alcohol poisoning. Right. So, okay. So what happened next in terms of of him and... Well, I talked to the ER doctor because I was, you know, at that point, if he had drank to that level again, he would not be alive to this day. That was life or death at this point. He's 40 and diagnosed with beginning liver failure. And it's a miracle that he didn't overdose that night. Um, So I told the ER, well, I asked the ER doctor, I said, do we need to get him into rehab right now? Because honestly, I didn't know if I could keep him alive, you know, um, to be sent home with him. And, um, the ER doctor gave us some outpatient options, which I didn't really think that would be um, enough given, you know, I didn't really know the severity of his disease at that point because he had been hiding it from me. Um, so basically we went home that night and um, 
my husband went to work the next day and while he was gone um a close friend of ours came and we basically canvassed the whole house um there was liquor hidden throughout our house there, the night he almost overdosed there were 16 mini vodka bottles hidden under his work desk um there were alcohol in the the toolbox in the garage the whole place was just swimming in booze that i didn't know about oh. um and then i opened which i never would have done i wasn't like you know the crazy like you know checking up on you type of wife and i thought we had you know a, a good marriage and um, I opened up his credit card statement. It was over $10,000 in daily trips to the liquor store that wow. I didn't know about. He was spending over $700 a month. Wow. And I hadn't used a credit card in like seven years. So it was a financial betrayal on top of everything else. I got it. Um, so my friends and I cleared out the house. And at that point, I knew that our life had to change. I mean, even I just knew that to support him, I would have to make a change. That was my point of no return. You know, yeah. we can't. You can't um, have alcohol around someone like that. No. So yeah. I gave away my wine fridge. I had a whole, you know, dumpster full of wine glasses that just smashed into them. I gave away everything that remotely had anything to do with that. And um, and then I, I basically, um, you know, took away all his credit cards because I didn't, I mean, I, I was worried if he drank again, then he would just, I mean, he would not be alive you know pretty much at this point um right. and so but you I, said he went to work um how could i mean i mean he, he had okay? been functioning that way for okay. you know okay most of our marriage so i guess he I get had it. a way of like i said it's you know and until i knew a little bit more about the disease you know i think he was so high functioning that you know he had hidden it from me and our family and most of his colleagues he had functioned so well and I think a lot of people do and you know I think a lot of people just think you know addicts or alcoholics or whatever the people that are homeless living under a bridge and that's not the case there are people that it, it can affect anyone and that's kind of why I like to share my story because I want to erase that you know help erase and bring awareness and and you know it shouldn't be taboo or stigma i want to just talk about you know i think we should talk about things and not you know have you know that it is a disease and you know and i just want to bring you know awareness to it and hope and um yep and yep. so yeah he went to work and um i had uh his mother and i kind of staged an intervention when he came home i was going to say because i I'm I'm wondering if he had a point of no return. I understand mm -hmm. that you did. did, but did he realize yeah. that he had to either stop or he was probably going to die? Yeah. When we were at, at the ER, um, the the ER doctor, and again, my husband's a doctor also, um, mm -hmm. and that's, you know, and that's probably why he hid it so well for me because, you know, when you think about, you know, high functioning people, you know, it's kind of like I kind of took his word for a lot of things because I wasn't, you know you know, as medically trained as he was and that sort of thing. But um, the ER doctor showed him his lab values, like doctor to doctor. This is what your liver function looks like. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out, if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at the addiction podcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 
7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. So between that and the, um, when he came home from work, he noticed there was a suitcase by the steps. He did, I met his gaze and he saw that the wine fridge was gone, but he made no comment about that. But he did see the suitcase by the stairs and he's like, you know, became very concerned um, about the suitcase. And um, the suitcase was actually for my son because I wanted him, I arranged for him to stay at his daycare providers overnight because I didn't want our son to overhear us, you know, talking and becoming, because I did try to shield him as much as I could. Um, he was only three at that time. He's five now. Um, but it's probably okay that your husband thought it was for him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I told him. I mean, and I feel like, like to, you know, say I'm well-spoken and empathetic, but I did tell him, I said, in the, the most loving yet very clear, very clear boundary that unless you get your shit straight, I will divorce you. I will get custody of our son and I will take you for everything you are worth because I love you and I can't let I can't stand by and idly watch you kill yourself. Right. Right. Understood. And I assume he believed you. Yeah. And he, um, when we talked to him about it and again, he knew, um, you know, from the ER visit, I think that was his point of no return that if you keep doing this, you will die at 40. You won't watch your son grow up. He's only three. Wow. And um, he actually ended up um, calling his um, uncle, who's been 20 years sober now, and um, and voluntarily called him to seek his advice to find a rehab facility. And um, he he was the one that found a place to go and arranged that he went to the a special program for um, healthcare professionals. And this an is patient facility. Right. And, the, and, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, when you were talking about getting rid of the stigma, it's like, he's not the first medical profession that we've spoken oh, no. to on the podcast. Yeah. And I said, he a... went to a special program. There were nurses, there were therapists, there oh, yeah. were doctors, there were surgeons. There we had a nurse addicted to fentanyl. Oh, I was That she say. would take out of the, out of the operating rooms. Yeah. You know? when... So, yeah, my husband was in rehab. There were people that had felony um, prescription writing um, convictions. Yep. And I, you know, we're not, you know, responsible for, you know, anyone else's journey, but our own. And I stay on my side of the street and work on my recovery. But I'm just saying that, like, you know, I, I try to spread awareness and things like that, because, you know, my husband was one of the lucky ones. He is yep. alive. He's better. It didn't affect his career. You know, we had intervened by the time it, he went he's able to go back to work. He's successful in his career. He didn't have any, you know, criminal charges, you know, and, and that's why I kind of want to come and share my story and, 
um, you know, because I feel like if we can kind of, you know, talk about, be more open about things yep. that maybe we don't have to wait until people are so sick that it's so hard to overcome. Exactly. You know, I, I work as a speech therapist and I do a lot of early intervention with kids and, and trying to, you know, help their families, you know, and, and give them that stimulation they need to, you know, before it becomes a problem or when it's a small problem and then we can kind of remediate it. And I guess that's where my, my thought process is that we don't want to wait until the people are so acutely ill that, um, or die of an overdose, you know, at that point it's too late. Do you know? And, and yeah, and my aunt, you know, how long has your husband been clean and sober now? almost three years now three years I mean you know and that's how long my recovery is because I um you know adopt a sober lifestyle to support him too but but that's that's awesome for both of you because I know I mean his being clean and sober is tougher maybe than yours except you have your own aspect to what he went through um yeah Okay. So very, tell him I said very well done being clean and sober for three years because I know it's not easy. We've talked to people. We know it's not easy, um, but he's doing it. And that's, that's the important thing. Um, so talk a little bit about your book, Leah. Tell us about your book. Well, yeah. What prompted you to write it and tell us about it? Um, well, I guess I would say that I never really, um, you know, expected to be an author or anything like that. But um, for me, when, you know, I was going through, you know, my husband's active phase that I, it just, the betrayal and the hurt and the pain was just so palatable that I was looking for a book before I went to like my recovery groups and that, um, I was like looking for something to bring me a little comfort. Um, and I had read, um, David Chef's beautiful boy book and it, you know, it brought me a little peace, but I was looking for a story of, you know, someone like me that, you know, there was a little bit of hope and, um, you know, for someone that like, you know, you'd spend all night crying and, you know, you have to go to work the next day and try to put out a brave face for your kid. And there wasn't a book that was told by like a woman's perspective and how that is. And um, so I started writing mostly as a way to kind of project the pain outside of myself. I found that very healing and um, very therapeutic. And I was posting on social media and people were following me and I share in my Al-Anon group, some of my writings and they were really felt like it helped them. Um, so the book really came about from that because when I would share, people seemed to, it responded to them. So I wrote the book only because it was the book that I needed. Um, I wrote it because there wasn't a book that told some hope and um I just wanted to give back because my life is so much better and, uh, and our you... community is such a beautiful community the recovery community and that was like the 12th step that I wanted to give back to someone else and, and you're giving hope to people with your book you're giving hope to other women maybe even men who are going through something similar with their spouse and the message that, you know, you don't have to get to the point where you're going to die. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can prevent that. So the name of your book? Um, Yes, it is. um, It's Fireflies and it's called Finding Light on a Journey Through Addiction. And I chose the Fireflies title um, because there's actually a significant piece of um, jewelry my husband gave me and he proposed to me outside when it was fireflies all in the summer. Um, But fireflies for me, the meaning was that, 
you know, we share our light through the bioluminescence bio and through community. And, you know, the only way to come out of the darkness is through the light. And that's how we in this community share our stories to other and we, you know, yep. shine the light to others. Yep. Yep. I think it's amazing that you wrote it. I think I am sure that a lot of people are getting a lot of benefit from your book because, as you said, there wasn't one available when you needed it. So well done you for taking the bull by the horn and just writing it, you know? I think that's great. I'm going to ask you kind of a tough question. Yeah, if, sure. When you look back, what would you have done different? Like, were there like indicators that maybe you just didn't think were that important and that if you had to do it all over again, you would jump on it earlier? And I ask you that because, yeah. you know, I want people who are listening, you know, we talk a lot about parents with kids and we had yeah. a guy on there saying, if you find air freshener under your kid's bed, that is not because they're passing gas at night. It's because they're smoking something mm -hmm. that is creating odor. And so you have to be proactive. And I just wonder what you would do differently. Yeah, I was going to say the thing that I have a lot of, I guess, remaining guilt about was um, my daycare lady um, had told me that our son didn't want to be picked up by, or our, our son, excuse me, our son didn't want to be picked up by him. And, you know, I just thought at the time, like, you know, I was working, you know, you sort of not, not to, you know, excuse myself, but you sort of get into, you know, you're, you're working, you got all the things, you know, you're working mom, all this sort of stuff. But um, I, I took it as like, you know, he, you know, he's a three-year-old boy, so, you know, kids prefer their moms and kind of brushed it off in a way. But looking back at it, I, you know, our son probably realized that, you know, there was something wrong with his dad and, um, you know, and my husband would come home and just drink and watch TV and really zone out with our son. And, you know, he never was violent or, or anything like that with us. But the fact that our son knew that probably something that I didn't know, of, like how sick he was and that he was just checked out. He wasn't there. He was a shell of himself. And I just, you know, later on, you know, and I, when he was really acutely ill, he just looked dead in his eyes. And, um, and, you know, sometimes I think our kids maybe pick up on certain things that maybe we don't, because we just get in the thick of things. And, you know, I just, you really can't force anyone to get sober, you know, it's like kind right. of, you know, it's, I can't, I didn't cause it. I can't cure it. I can't exactly. control it. I, I, was gonna say, I didn't, I didn't ask you to make you feel guilty. No. I more no, just no. wanted kind of some perspective so that yeah. if someone's out there and maybe they're missing an indicator like that, mm. or they're missing the fact that they're, you know, their loved one is looking a little bit weird or acting a little bit weird, you know, don't, don't let it go. You know, yeah. just don't and let I was it gonna go. say that I think some of the ways that I sort of coped, even before I went to Al-Anon, I um, just sort of detached because I knew that he was, you know, drinking a lot or, you know, hungover most of the time. So I actually, it took our son out and we would just go on adventures. We went everywhere, like different places, the zoo, museums, you know, that sort of thing. And we'd just live our life. And, um, and when my you know, be, to shield our son. And also because I, I can't do anything about that. I mean, I, there's nothing I can do with his disease other than he's going to have to put his oxygen mask and step out of the bathtub. He's drowning himself, you know, yeah. but um, 
when he did get sober and he came back from rehab, the first thing he said was, we actually went on, it was around Christmas time when he came back. And you know, you could, there's a really beautiful scene in my book about when he comes back um, before the holidays. That's what Sienna brought me. <laughs> and uh, he, he, the first thing we went on, like one of those like Sienna trains and I just like looked at him and he like sort of melancholy and I'm like, you know, what's going on? And, you know, aren't you happy? And he said, well, it's, it's very mixed because I think of all the time that I missed with you and our son. Mm. Yep. And it, he looked alive, you know, in his eyes. He wasn't yep. that in his eyes anymore. Yep. Well, well done on coming through it and well done on where you're at now and, all, and everything you're doing to give back. And your book is available on Amazon, correct? Yes. And I've recorded an audio book too, because, um, you know, I, I, the, my audience that I wrote to is, you know, I, I think like me, like a working parent, you know, and you have very limited time. Listen so, to it uh, in the car. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, very well done. I know it's not, you know, there is still with as many people as we talk to on the podcast, I know that there is still the, a prevalence of, wanting to hide the shame and hide the guilt and not talk about it and not bring it to view. And while I understand that because it's not, it's not the prettiest part of your life or his life, right. it, the more that people share, like you've shared with us today, the more I think you give hope to other people and you maybe wake people up that they need to do something when they haven't really been confronting it. You know, they really, really haven't looked at it. And so I really appreciate you. I appreciate the book. I appreciate you, what you do for a living. And I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I, I commend you for this podcast. And, you know, and I, uh, you know, our recovery community is just so strong. And um, we just support each other. We try to build each other up. I, and I, think and I, oh, and no, I, just wanted, I just wanted to say, too, that, um, you know, I, there's so many beautiful moments in, you know, recovery and sobriety. My husband just came back from a fishing trip with his sponsor and he just, he and his sponsor are just like kindred spirits. They just have such, um, common things and they just get each other. They're both, you know, married with, with young kids and, um, and just, you know, you live sort of, you know, it's possible to live like a life beyond your wildest dreams. Like my husband now is, you know, a coach for our son's soccer team. And he was telling his sponsor about it. And he's like, yeah, an unexpected gift of sobriety. It's like he knows very li literally nothing about soccer and like volunteers, but it's like, I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm present. I'm awake. I'm alive. I'm here. I'm here to give my 12 step. I'm here to give back. That's awesome. That's totally awesome. Well, tell him very well done from us. I and, will. And very well done to you. And thank you so much. Yeah, thank you again. And all the good work you're doing. Thank you so much for listening today. I particularly liked this interview because I think that for those of you who have a loved one that perhaps you suspect might have a drug or alcohol problem, hopefully she inspired you to actually do something about it and intervene and do whatever needs to be done because the alternative is either you know life incarceration or or death and neither one is what any of us want for someone who's addicted whether it's to alcohol or drugs it doesn't matter so my message is if you think 
that someone you know has a drug or alcohol problem, you need to reach out. Reach out to someone online if you don't know who to talk to in your area, but find out what you can do and get them into treatment sooner rather than later. Don't wait, okay? And we'll come back again next week. We have another interview coming up and stay healthy, stay clean, stay sober. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.